I'm going to put you to work right off the bat today. Please repeat these words after me. Influence. Influence. Illumination. Illumination. That's pretty good. Let's try them again. Influence. Influence. Illumination. Illumination. True story. Several years ago, uh, I hadn't been here too long, I, I was planning to use a sermon illustration that required a can of beer. Now, it was, a, it was a Saturday. I was kind of pulling this thing together, and uh, I didn't really want to go out of town. And in town, there were only two options uh, to get my hands on a can of beer. I, I thought it over and decided I could not go into Stephens and buy this because I knew that if I bought a beer at Stephens, that before I got home, it would be all over town that the pastor at Jubilee, which is what our church used to be called, was a raging alcoholic. And so I thought I'd have a better chance to get in and out of the liquor store quickly and relatively anonymously. But I made a crucial mistake. I stopped in at the Dollar General to get a couple other things. This is when Dollar General was on that end of town. And I saw a couple of church members. And I don't know exactly what it was. It, it might have been guilt. But, but I, I ended up telling them about needing this can of beer and sharing my, my apprehensiveness, right? My, my fear about, about getting my hands on this. And, you know, they were so kind and reassuring. And they said, don't you worry about that. You go, you go right on in that liquor store and you get that beer. <laughs> so I left Dollar General, pulled in at the liquor store somewhat strategically, I parked all the way down at the end so that I could make a plausible case that I was going to Bex. <laughs> and and I, I looked over my shoulder both ways to see if I recognized any vehicles that might be driven by people who would recognize me. And I made my move and walked very quickly toward the door of the liquor store. And all of a sudden... This is what I heard. Ah, 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 ah. Hey, Pastor Scott! And I look, and there are my two church members driving by on 18. Ah, ah. And I, I almost had a stroke. I looked like I had walked into a beehive. Like, ah. Later on, after I, after I calmed down a little bit, and reflected on it. I was so embarrassed. I mean, what had I been worried about? Why was I so overly sensitive to the fact that somebody might see me going into a place that they thought a Christian, much less a pastor, shouldn't go? Why had I been so concerned about what a person, another person might think? And I did not like cowardly answers and excuses that I came up with, especially when I remembered that the church people of Jesus' day gave him a real hard time because he hung around with the wrong kind of people. In fact, they called Jesus the Son of God. Almighty God in human flesh. They called Jesus a drunkard. 
what? He hung out with drunks, I guess. Because Jesus was willing to eat with prostitutes and tax collectors, they tried to insult him. They came up with a particularly unique insult. They said, he's a friend of sinners. And you know what, by extension, what they meant? That means he's no friend of ours. And then I remembered how Jesus responded to that. The Holy Spirit reminded me that that when the people complained, he hangs around with the scum of the earth. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 5, verses 31 through 33. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Folks, that's as close as I'm ever going to come to commenting on Obamacare right there. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Listen, if there is any class of people you think you are too good to hang around, then you think you're better than Jesus was. We're in the middle of a message series called You, the subtitle of which is Who Do You Think You Are? And we've learned some important things along the way so far. We've learned that when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. Because what we've seen is that one of the most common problems that Christians have is that we don't know who we are in Christ. We really don't know who we are in Christ. And because we don't know who we are, very often we come up against situations and circumstances where we don't know what to do. We don't have a clue. And we've also learned that there's no such thing as a normal Christian. Right? We can't excuse ourselves by saying, well, the things you're talking about, Pastor Scott, those are for the spiritual superstars, right? The super Christians. Uh, I'm just a normal, regular Christian. There's no such thing. We're all filled with the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. We all have access directly to God himself. We all have authority in the name of Jesus. There is nothing normal, nothing regular about followers of Jesus. And when we know who we are, we'll know what to do. It's all about knowing who we are in Christ. So who do you think you are? I want to remind you of something. If you're a follower of Christ, that God has called us to be change agents in this world. He's called us to be a divine influence in the world around us. He has called us to shine the illumination of his light into a dark world. If you're taking notes, and you should be, there's a notes uh, folder in your bulletin. Who do you think you are? Because Jesus says we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. The salt of the earth and the light of the world. And folks, this is big, huge, massively important statement. We're not just the salt of our neighborhood and the light of our town. We're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. I want us to realize who we are in Christ because when we know who we are, then we'll know what to do.
Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5. If you want to turn over there, the scriptures that we're looking at are also in that folder, message notes folder in your bulletin. It'll be up on the screen as well. You can follow along in your own Bible. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Now, somebody has just poked their neighbor and said, what does that mean, salt of the earth? I mean, is that a good thing? Well, here's what we need to understand. When Jesus said this, his followers, his listeners, understood that salt was the second most important thing around. You know what the first most important thing around was? The sun. Interesting, isn't it? The two most important things were salt and light. Everybody thought the sun was the most important thing around, but salt was a close second because of its usefulness and because of its versatility, especially when we're talking about the days before refrigeration, when we're talking about a lot of modern conveniences and things that we have. In ancient Rome, people were often paid for their labors with salt. That's where we get our word salary. It comes from the salt that would be a portion of their, of their pay. It's also where we get our phrase, um, he's not worth his salt. So apparently if someone didn't do a good job or didn't pull their weight, didn't work the way they were expected to, we'll say he's not worth his salt, not worth the salt it would take to pay him. Today we, we use this phrase uh, sometimes when we're talking about just a, just a good, common kind of, uh, you know, good person, we'll say they're, they're what? Salt of the earth. Okay? But, but Jesus is talking about something else here. He's talking about influence. He's not just talking about a good old boy or a good old girl or somebody, you know, that's reliable and dependable and doesn't put, you know, they're unpretentious. No, he's talking about being transformed into a divine agent of change in this world, a Christ-empowered influencer in this world. Think about it. What does salt do? Well, it does a lot of things. It does a lot more things than, than I will mention here in the next minute or two. But here are some of the things that it does. Salt preserves. Today, we still have salt pork. Some cultures still salt fish to preserve it. That's the same thing they did in those days. They didn't, the Jews didn't salt pork, obviously. But they, they salted beef, lamb, fish. Why? To stop decay, to preserve it, to keep it fresh and edible. As Christians, we ought to be divine preservers in our culture. We, we ought to be divine preservers, helping people find eternal life so that they'll know how to live forever with God in heaven. We ought to be preserving life by our presence. Salt also purifies. In Jesus' day, they, they had a process by which they would purify water to a certain degree with salt. And in this very impure world, we should be agents of purification. We should be, again, just by the way that we live, representative of the kingdom of God and His holiness and His righteousness. 
Salt also creates thirst, doesn't it? Why do you think in a, in a pub or a bar they serve peanuts and pretzels and chips and salsa? Because those things, so I've been told. I, some, of you, <laughs> some of you have shared that information with me. But those things are loaded with salt. They make you thirsty. And so in theory, the customers will order more alcohol, right? Drive up the tab. Salt creates thirst. Listen to me, Christians. When we are full of God's grace and his transforming love, we will create a divine thirst in other people about what's going on in us. What in the world is it about you? What do you have? How is it that you're so full of joy? How is it that you can be so peaceful when circumstances and situations are going haywire? I want what you have. Salt creates thirst. And salt also melts. Praise God, just a couple of months from now, we'll have to prove that point, won't we? We'll be spreading it on our driveways and sidewalks. and We'll need it. In a similar way, the warmth of the love of God shared with other people can melt a cold, hard heart and soften them to hear the gospel of Jesus. How about one more example? Salt heals. You ever heard the phrase, pour salt in the wound? Yeah, they actually did that. <laughs> because salt, because of the purifying property of salt, it was used to treat all kinds of ailments and, and injuries. You know, today we might gargle with a little salt water when we have a sore throat. Back then you might cut your leg open and they'd pack it full of salt. That sounds like fun, doesn't it? You ever get salt in a paper cut? We think that hurts. But in a similar way, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we can be a healing agent in this world to people who've been hurt, hurt by religion, hurt by, uh, by church people, who've been turned away from God by other things. We are the salt of the earth. Everybody say it. I am the salt of the earth. When we know who we are, we'll know what to do. Jesus went on in Matthew 5. Verses 14 through 16, he said, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts a, it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise you for your good deeds. Hmm? So that everyone will think, what a terrific Christian example she is. So that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. In Jesus' time, most common Palestinian homes had one window on each level. They might be three levels, but four levels sometimes, but they would just have one window, and obviously that doesn't let in a lot of light. And so they would light candles. They burned candles all the time. They burned nasty, smoky, stinky, animal fat candles. This was not a scentsy party. Okay? Nobody was going, ooh, that smells like butter pecan ice cream. That wasn't what was happening. 
And they had no lighters. <laughs> they had no matches. It could be hard to get a candle going. So once they got it going, they left it going. Now, if they had to leave the house, they wanted to protect that candle. And so they would take a loosely woven basket and set it over the candle so that it would be protected from being bumped over or being blown out. But it would, the, the, the basket was porous enough that air could get to it and the candle would not go out. Jesus said, though, when you're home, when you're in your home, you don't do that. You light the candle because everyone needs the benefit of the candle. In fact, you don't just light the candle and hold it right here where you're working. You set it up on a stand so that everybody around you can benefit from its light. Don't cover up the light. We're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And the world needs the influence of salt because it's impure. And the world needs the illumination of light because it's dark and we are the salt. We are the light. God himself sees each one of us. Listen, Christian. He sees each one of us as someone who can influence and illuminate. When we know who we are, we know what to do. We don't run and hide from the darkness. We shine the light of Christ into the darkness. We don't hide from impurity. We let God use us to, to heal and preserve and purify. We let God use us to change things. I want you to say it again. I am the salt of the earth. I am the light of the world. I am a Christ-empowered influencer. And my life will make a difference. That's who we are. That's who we are. Well, I sure don't feel like that's true about me. Well, man, rain on how you feel. What does that have to do with anything? If you and God disagree about who you are, who's right? Thank you. Well, I need to learn more Bible, and I need to pray more, and I need to take that class or go to that seminar uh, getting that life group. No, 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 no. If we are Christians, we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. That's who we are. That's what God sees when he looks at you. Just like I said last week, he looks at you and he sees an overcomer. And the week before that, he looks at you and he sees one of his ambassadors. Well, I want to I share two statements. That I, that I hope will help us, will help us get our heads around what it means to be salt of the earth and the light of the world. Right there in your notes. And this first one is so simple, it's, it's stupid. Salt, <laughs> just wait. Salt is naturally salty. And light naturally shines. Salt is salty. Durr. Yeah. Naturally. Jesus even kind of goes out of his way to make a point that if salt's not salty, you just throw it out in the street. It's not good for anything. But salt is salty naturally. You don't go out and find a recipe and go to the store and buy the components to make salt. Right? None of us are at home, like, you know, with, with a, a, a scale, measuring out sodium and chloride in the right uh, proportions to make salt. It's not how it works. Salt is salty. 
naturally. The same with light. If a light is lit, it just shines. Shines everywhere. We don't have to force our light to shine. I mean, it's not like we're... Well, what are you doing? Well, I'm trying to shine. Well, stop it. You look like you ate too much cheese. Stop it. <laughs> Listen, because of what God has done, and when we realize who he is and who we are in him, we live out of that natural overflow as salt and light. Let me show you a biblical example. In Acts chapter 16, turn over there because you've got, you got your Bible. Turn to the book of Acts chapter 16. It's a story that takes place in the life of the Apostle Paul and his ministry partner, Silas. And Paul and Silas have traveled all over being salt and light. They have been transformed by Jesus. We talked about Paul's conversion a little bit a couple weeks ago. And so everywhere they went, they were telling people about him. They were telling people about Jesus. And the, the, the religious authorities, the church people, didn't like what they were doing. And so there was this pattern that kind of got set up. They would be arrested and beaten and then released. And then they would be arrested again and beaten again and released. And this went on over and over and over, but they did not stop preaching about Jesus. And eventually, they make their way to the town of Philippi in modern-day Greece. And right away, there's trouble. Look at Acts 16, verse 22. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Now, you know, just being honest, sometimes when we read the Bible, we kind of skim, don't we? We kind of read quickly. Right, we'll read something like that and we'll go, oh, wow, that's, you know, that's a bad day. But we have no idea. I mean, just look at it. First of all, they were stripped. Publicly, Okay, imagine that. In public, all your clothes taken off. And then they're beaten with rods. The scripture says beaten severely. You know what the rule was about a, a rod was a stick. You know what the rule was? It couldn't be any bigger than a man's thumb. Now, that's okay, depending on the man, I guess. But can you imagine a stick that big around being beaten severely? Then they're thrown into the inner dungeon, the inner prison. Probably no light, no window. And their legs are put in stocks. Now, well, you've got to get your head around this. What they would do is take your legs, kind of like we would a wishbone. And they would, they would stretch the legs out as far as it was possible to stretch them. And then in between the ankles, they would put a wooden beam to hold the legs in that position. And they would, they would tie it off. They would secure it to the legs so that their legs were permanently held in that stretched out bowed position. It was a form of torture. You weren't going anywhere. So this is a really, really, really bad day. And what do you think Paul and Silas were doing after all that? Well, I'm going to write a letter to my congressman. 
I'm going to get on American Family Radio and talk about how badly I'm persecuted. <coughs> Scripture says, Acts 16, verse 25, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Wow. Amazing. They're just there in prison, being salt and light. Being salt, being who they were. I guarantee you they didn't have an emergency board meeting and say, okay, there's some prisoners over there and we want to make sure we represent Christ real well to them. So, so what should we do? Well, I know. How about a Bible study? Well, uh, I, I can't reach my Bible because my legs are hurting. Uh, well, okay, how about we quote our memory verse for the day? No, how about we sing a song? That'll be a good witness to them. They didn't go through any of that. They simply were who they were. They were salt and light. Because they were who they were, they let their light shine. It's, it's a little bit like this. Have you ever seen the full, like full moon super bright? You ever notice that? Maybe it's low in the sky and it seems super bright. And there's even shadows at night from how bright the moon is. Now, let's get technical for a moment. Is the moon really bright? Everybody do this. No. It's not. The moon generates no light. What's bright? The sun. The moon is simply reflecting the sun. That's what we do as the light of the world. We may not be very bright on our own, but we reflect the sun. We reflect the sun and others around us say, wow, I see the light. It's reflecting off of you, and you just let it shine as a natural overflow of who God is in your life and, and what he's done in your life. You know that in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the good news about Jesus. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I preach, and I'm going to confess him publicly anywhere and everywhere I go, and I will never, ever hide my faith. I will never put a basket over the light. You're going to know who I stand for because he gave his life for me. Hide it under a bushel? No! I'm going to let it shine. Won't let Satan it out. Let it shine. Everywhere. All the time. That's who you are. You know, if you're a follower of Christ, it's not like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church on Sunday. I go to that 9 o'clock service. No. I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I've been transformed by him. Everything about my life has been changed. And anywhere, everywhere, all the time, he is foremost in my mind and in my heart. And it's my greatest joy to represent him and reflect his love to everybody I meet. It's just, we love God and we trust God. and It's a natural overflow. Our light shines. But let's go back to Acts 16. God, God shows up and decides to show off a little bit. Verse 26. Acts 16, 26 says, Suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. 
The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. Okay, first of all, he's asleep on the job. That's, that's kind of a big no-no. And plus, he's pretty sure that all the prisoners have escaped. And he knows very well that if any prisoner escapes for any reason, he will be publicly executed. And he didn't want to go through that, so he thinks, I'll just take care of it myself. And he draws his sword to kill himself. He intends to kill himself. And verse 28 says, Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself! We're all here. Now, this is amazing to me at a lot of levels, right? Because if God broke me out of prison, chances are pretty good I'll be doing this. I am out of here, baby! <laughs> that jailer was the one who put me in here. He's the guy who, who did this to my legs. He's the bad guy. He's the darkness. I'm out of here! And isn't that what a lot of Christians do today? They look at people and go... Oh, darkness. Secular music listening, alcohol drinking, tattoo wearing, spiky haired people. <laughs> Sinners, pagans, heathens. But where I grew up, it was heathen. Heathens, Democrats. I mean, the list goes on. <laughs> And they run. They run. Darkness, if you are light, darkness isn't something you run from. You shine into it. That's what Paul and Silas did. They stick around and they said to a guy they had every reason to hate, don't hurt yourself. We're all still here. You know what they're doing? They're loving the guy. Did they love the fact that he put him in stocks? Shoved him in the inner prison? Probably oversaw this severe beating with his big old sticks? No, they don't love that. They love him. They don't love what he does. They don't love what he did. They love him. <coughs> they're being salt and light. They're living a powerful demonstration of the love and the grace and the mercy of God. A pastor of this old world is so dark, you better start shining then. It's, it's so rotten and impure, yet you better use your influence, your, your salt, your, your role as an undercover agent of change to bring people to the love and goodness of God. You better get busy. Because that's who we are. And when you know who you are, you know what to do. We're salt. And light. And here's the second thing, real quickly. If you're taking notes, salt and light living changes lives. That's exactly what happened in Acts 16. Instead of running, Paul and Silas hung around. We're still here. Verse 29 says, Acts 16, 29, the jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? It is the most important, most powerful question anyone could ever ask. 
what must I do to be saved? Because basically the jailer says, I've seen your life. I've seen your faith. I've seen your passion. And I want what you have. I've heard you preach when they told you to stop. (laughs) And I've seen you worship when you ought to be moaning in pain. I've seen your God act. I've seen it, and now I want it. You've created a thirst. What must I do to have what you have? Verse 31. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. (coughs) Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you and everybody in your house be saved. Call on his name. You'll become a new creation. Call on him and you'll become an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. Call on him and you will be his ambassador, God's highest ranking diplomat sent from heaven to earth. And here's the deal. When you know him, not when you go to church, not when you take a class, not when you win the scripture memory trophy. When you know him, you will be salt and light. You can't help it. You can't stop it. It just happens. Let me, let me tell you one more thing. I think some of us need to keep in mind. Oftentimes, salt and light works best over a long period of time. And I say that because some of us, we've got somebody that we've given up on a long time ago. We prayed for them, we reached out to them, and we just gave up. Don't do it. Don't you dare do it. You keep being salt and light. You keep sharing love and grace. And don't run from that darkness. Shine the light of Christ into it. That's who God created us to be. That's how he uses us to make a difference. There's an interesting footnote to the story of the Philippian jailer. Most scholars, people who study this kind of thing, now understand that this event, the one we just read about, this event led directly to the establishment of a church at Philippi, a church that was a giving church. They gave to other churches that were struggling all over the known world at the time. They were a missionary sending church for over 600 years years. Think about it. Two people, prisoners, basically crippled because of the conditions by which they were being held in prison, share with one guy the love and the grace and the mercy of God. And he, the, one, the guy is saved, and his whole family is saved, and that change overflows into a church which helped spread the gospel all over the known world for more than half a millennia. We're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We're not just regular Christians who go to church and, and try to be good, try to live straight, upright, and moral lives. No, we... We're change agents. We're divine 
change agents, undercover influencers. And there are times when God will use us behind the scenes and there are times when our light will shine boldly. But God has created us to be this way. It is who we are, the salt of the earth and the light of the world, a Christ-empowered influencer living a life that will make a difference. And when you know who you are, you know what to do. Bow your heads, please. Close your eyes.